1: Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 158 of the Intercooler Podcast with Dan Prosser and my co host, Andrew Frankel. Now, this time, we're talking underrated or underappreciated racing drivers, the guys that don't have the reputation that we think their skill, their talent, their ability, their speed deserves. Now we couldn't do this topic without also doing a few overrated (laughs) racing drivers and I obviously couldn't tackle this one without talking about a few rally drivers. Um, So hopefully it's an interesting topic this week. Um, Before we get into it please just do me a favour and whichever podcast app you're listening to this on just go into the app and hit the follow button or the subscribe button. Um, It takes seconds easy to do it means you won't miss an episode and it also helps us to find a bigger audience so it really really is important that you do it um so thank you for that and enjoy the episode to get things underway andrew i i want to ask that old unanswerable question who is the best driver never to win a formula one race um there are two names that tend to crop up when this question is asked um And just by chance, you happen to have one and I happen to have the other.
0: Well, I only picked the one that I'm going to pick because I knew the one you were going to pick. I mean, mean, to me, they're interchangeable. They are both equally entitled, I think. Um, But because I'm older than you, I'll go for the older one. So I'm going to go for Chris Amon.
1: Yeah. So Um, 11 podiums, five pole positions. So that's a a very strong record. No wins. But make the case then for Chris Amon. Why was... Why in your view? Well what demonstrates
0: exactly how good he was? He was just bloody unlucky. Mm. Um, you know, he was with teams when you know, he was with great teams when they weren't great, like Ferrari. Um you know, there was a French Grand Prix, I think it was nineteen seventy two, um, which he was leading by Miles on the car just but he just it was just it's just one of these that he just wasn't meant to be. He was an incre- I mean, to think that he, I mean, he, I mean, I think you could argue that he should have been a world champion. I mean, he was that good. I mean, and, and, and particularly, you know, by reputation of the people who are racing with him um, at the time, he was absolutely regarded to be one of the very best. And it just, it just didn't work out for him. Um, you know, he he was amazing in sports cars. He was he was as quick as anybody in Formula One. He really was. Um, mm. But, you know, either through just bad luck or being in the wrong team. I mean, it it wasn't like he sort of, you know, threw things away by making silly mistakes at all. Um, He was also, I know this shouldn't really count. He was also a really nice guy. Mm. I can remember, (laughs) I mean, he died a few years ago. But I can remember, um, I'd quite often ring him up in New Zealand um, to talk to him about stuff that I'd driven. Um, And one of the first things he'd do is, oh, look, I'll ring you. This must be really expensive. I'll I'll call you back. Mm. that's good yeah Um, it was amazing and then he'd just talk and talk and talk and he'd have total recall I mean his health wasn't great in his later years but I just just really liked him and to me um, I'm genuinely I always have been so much more interested in the person than the driving ability and this actually speaks to who I know your choice is going to be who is another really really good guy Um, and yeah it just you know just didn't work out Mm. it's like you know Sterling Moss not being a world champion it's ridiculous
1: Mm. Just one but, of those things, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's just one of those things.
1: It happens. Go on, so, who's sport. yours? Obviously, you Mar- already know. It's Martin Brundle, <laughs> of oh, course. Um, and it's <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it, it's quite easy to make a case for him. Um, he he had nine F1 podiums, um, no poles, but he he had a good number of podiums in Formula One. It starts though with the 1983 season in British F3, um, when there was a, a young Brundle and a young mm. Senna. And yeah. this is when British F3 was a very high-status championship, wasn't it? And there, there were guys, and both of them did it. You could do, go well in British F3 and land in an
0: F1 seat. Uh, and both Senna and Brundle did exactly that in 1984. Yeah. 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 And, it's, it and in that F3 season, it was Senna versus Brundle. Yeah. And it's, um,
1: it's almost a season of two halves, really, because Senna won the first nine races and when you look at the pole position, the list of pole positions for that year, it just goes Senna, 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 Martin Brundle. Senna, 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 Martin Brundle. Also, you've got David Leslie and Davy Jones in there scoring pole positions, but Senna had all but, I think, five of them in a 20-round season. Senna won the first nine races. He won 12 in total, but Brundle won seven. And, I mean, really, Senna particularly at the start of the season, when he was just knocking out those wins. He was in a league of his own, but Brundle was the only guy who could consistently stay with him. Yeah,
0: and, and my memory is, is that Ayrton had better equipment.
1: Yeah, well, that may well be true. Yeah, he was with West Surrey Racing, yeah, really good outfit.
0: Who were the you know, the
1: guys, weren't they?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and they tangled a couple of times, didn't they? Um, well, and he,
0: he ended up on top of him.
1: Yeah, and Brundle talks about this, and he says... And, you know, we we see something similar with um, other drivers. Max Max Verstappen comes to mind, where they drive in such a way when they're coming for an overtake or they're defending. If you do not yield, if you do not leap out of their way, you're going to crash. And Brundle always knew that if he did leap out of Senna's way, psychologically, that would be him done for the rest of time while going wheel to wheel with Senna. Because Senna will always know that this guy, if you send it up the inside or whatever... This guy is going to jump out of the way. And so Brundle made a point of not doing that and knowing that they were going to crash, but it was a long-term strategy. He had to make it quite clear to this young Brazilian bloke that you cannot just do that to me because I'm not going to let it happen.
0: Um, See, it's, it's a really, really interesting point, isn't it? I mean, so many of the people that we regard to be the greatest drivers, um, you know, Senna and Schumacher and I guess Verstappen, today um so much of what they do actually isn't to do with driving talent it's about Mm. the psychological game isn't it it's about Mm. driving in such a way that anybody you're going to wheel to wheel with will think this bloke's going to stop at nothing so Mm. am i really going to risk having probably quite a big accident Mm. um knowing that the other guy always will Mm. You know, they will always have the accident. They'll take the risk that you're going to have an accident. And it's got nothing to do with driving skill, but that's what delivers world championships. Mm. You know, and I've often wondered with with, with guys like Chris Amon, uh, and probably with Martin too, Whether and particularly in Formula 1, which is such a a selfish sport, um, whether, you know, good guys don't win. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because... In
1: sports cars, Brundle did win Le Mans. He did win the World Sports Car Championship. Yes. Um, so perhaps where maybe in in endurance racing, nice guys do come first because you have to be a bit more of a team player, and it's not so much about the wheel to wheel stuff.
0: It's a completely different discipline. Mm. You know, it, it is. You know, you can't completely shag a car because you have got a teammate waiting yeah. for it, and you yeah. know, and, and you know, if he's not as able, if he's not able to perform in the car as well as he can. Then you don't get to win the race. Mm. It's a completely different dynamic, and you have to drive in a completely different way. And you know, some people are massively well suited to that, um, but less so to Formula One. So to keep things moving along, then I'm, this
1: is your this is heartland stuff for you, isn't it? Yeah. You can probably rattle off a load of names here without having well, to think too hard about it. So it's all just give opinion. Us, give us isn't a couple it? of other underrated. Are, are we
0: going to do, do some overrated ones as well?
1: We we are going to do some overrated. We'll do those a bit later on. Um, Let's stick to a couple of underrated for now.
0: Who have you got? Um, So this bloke isn't a Formula One driver, and I guess he is rated now because they made a film about him. But certainly until Le Mans 66 came out, nobody had even heard of Ken Miles. Ah, Nobody even heard of Ken Miles. Um, Ken Miles, he was this British engineer working in the US. And if... You know, LeMans '66 hadn't basically been fixed by Ford to try and achieve this ridiculous dead heat finish, and then mm. the ACO decided, well, actually, the car that first started further back covered a greater distance, therefore, it should win. He would have won, and I think he would have been the first person to have won Daytona, Sebring, and LeMans, the big three, mm. um, because you would in, in the same season. He'd won Daytona, and he'd won Sebring, and he was he was winning LeMans until. They decided to create this dead heat, and you know that is just an extraordinary. And also, he was an, he was an old bloke. He was like forty seven when he did this, and he was up. You know, he was driving with people who were Formula One stars, and you know, um, you know the absolute cream of the crop. You know, some of whom probably weren't much more than half his age. Um, mm. And also, you know, he was the engineer. He was the bloke who, before any car even got on the grid, he made sure that it was, you know, a fully competitive race car by just going out there and pounding around and testing and testing and testing. Um, you know, he was the bloke who, you know, as, the, as the film shows, kicked the GT40 into shape. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm so, I was so glad when that film came out because he's been, well, a bit of a hero of mine since I I started learning about this stuff years and years ago. And I've never really understood why he never got the rec- recognition that he deserved. And, and finally, um, he has. That's a fantastic one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Actually, do you know what? <clears throat> Even I, huge motorsport fan... Never really knew much about him before that. Before the film came out,
0: no, um, well, so exactly. It's,
1: it's a perfect example. He doesn't have the reputation that he
0: deserves. Can, um, I, can I? Can I do another one? Who everybody yeah. knows about? Knows about? Um, can a double world champion be underrated? Alonso? No. Oh. No, I think yeah. everybody knows how good Fernando is. Okay, go on. Okay. Graham Hill. Yeah. So Graham Hill. The Graham Hill story, popular perception says that Graham Hill wasn't a great driver. And he did what he did through application. He just tried harder. Um, And, you know, good on him. Um, I think that's really patronising. A, I don't think it really matters how you do it. Actually, I think it makes you a greater person if you haven't got that amount of natural talent. And you still do it.
1: Yeah. Well, Day- Damon says that in his book.
0: Oh, OK. Yeah, well, there you go. Um,
1: about, about himself, but clearly it must apply to his father as well then.
0: Yeah, so you know, let's just, let's just you know, think a little bit about Graham Hill. Obviously, you know, double world champion. Um, mm. Only person ever to win the Indy 500, the Formula One World Championship and Le Mans. No one else has ever done that. And Monaco. And Monaco, yeah. Well, he, he also, he won Monaco five times. He was known five as times. Mr. Monaco. Monaco, yeah. where you have to be... Where concentration and precision are, are all over. And, you know, they used to race for three and a half hours back then. hundred lap race. Um, <laughs> and he won it five times. He did all of that. Um, and, you know, he picked Team Lotus off the floor when Jim Clark died, when Jim Clark got killed, in the same way that Damon did with Williams when um, when Ayrton got killed. Um, and he delivered them a world championship after a body blow. Um, and anybody who knows anything about you know, Colin Chapman and Jim Clark and Team Lotus in that era will know that that must have been... People must have wondered whether they could go on. Um, and then, you know, when he was meant to be all washed up, um, you know, his Grand Prix career, effectively, he was still racing... Um, he he goes to Le Mans in nineteen seventy two to race for Matra. Henri Pascarolo, who is his young tigerish, very hungry teammate, didn't want him in the car at all because he thought he was just some old bloke who'd been, you know, far too injured, far too many times, wasn't really in it. And Graham Hill, in horrible weather, you know, at Le Mans, just goes and wins the race. You know, the two of them, they just you know blew everyone else away. And he was you know so you know I just don't buy the sort of you know, plucky, try hard, you know, mm. got a bit lucky, you know, got there through just, you know, sweat rather than talent. I think he was an amazing driver. Yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic.
1: Um, okay, let me give you one. Johnny Herbert. Oh, um, go now, on. Yeah, now we, we know that he won three Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, seven podiums in total in F1. Um, but the thing about Herbert is if you talk to people like Tiffany Dell, who were in and around... Um, the motor racing scene in Britain in, you know, sort of 80s, 90s, people who really knew that era, they say that actually it was Johnny who was the one who had the real talent Um, and you might even hear them say Senna-like ability. Wow. Um, People really, really thought that he was the guy but then of course in Formula 3000 in 88 he had his horrible smash um, at Brands Hatch, where yeah. uh, he was nudged by another car into the wall um, and he sustained horrible ankle and foot injuries. Um, it looked like they might have to amputate, but after multiple surgeries, month of physiotherapy, <clears throat> they sort of got him patched up again. Um, but he, he still, I mean, he walks with a real limp even now um, and it clearly affected him throughout his career, forcing him to change his driving style. So he he, he, he was... I'd love to hear his own thoughts on this, but I think Common Wisdom says that he was not quite the driver that he was beforehand. Um, he still won three Grand Prix. Um, and of course, he still won Le Mans in 1991 with Mazda in the 77B. Yeah. Um, but its I, he's the, the kind of guy, it's easy to overlook him. Um, but when you talk to people in the know, you understand that in his early career, he really was very, very highly regarded. Yeah,
0: you? and that Le Mans win, let us not forget, um, it was an IMSA car. It wasn't even in the top category. Um, and, you know, because he was the quickest, best driver in the car, they left him in it for longer than anybody else. Um, and by the end of it, he was so utterly exhausted. Mm. You know, if you go and see, look at the fo- podium photographs on that race, he's not on it. Not there, he's not on it. He's in the medical centre. That's mm. how hard he tried. Um, mm. it says, do you think he sort of, I mean, the only time that I, I think I saw him race was in Melbourne in 2000, which is, I went out there for Jaguar's first Formula One race and he was partnered with Eddie Irvine. Um, and he, 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 whatever it was that he had had wasn't there anymore by then. Um, mm, and, okay. and Eddie was, you know, convincing me quicker. Um, mm throughout the weekend I mean they both had a terrible race um but um yeah it's interesting isn't
1: it I think it's it's his early career before the crash yeah exactly really really special um and the accident clearly affected him yeah um well I I obviously had to open this out to rally drivers but do you want do you want to give us another racing driver
0: before we before I switch it up um let's go Jensen Ooh. okay yeah let's have it Pete Lewis in the same yeah. machinery. Yeah. Um, again, a really, really good guy. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think his world champion, I, th- I think his world championship is perceived to be slightly tainted as the wrong word, but Compax everybody goes, oh, yeah, well, he had a double diffuser and, you know, blah, yeah. uh, and he wouldn't have won it any other way. I think what actually the record shows is at the moment he actually got in a competitive car, um, yeah. he was, you know, he was absolutely extraordinary and i think that he was also to me you always find out who the who the true greats are when the weather's a bit dodge Mm, you do and jensen in actually what jensen loved better than anything else were those conditions where it's not completely wet Mm. certainly not dry but it's a bit all over the place so you just don't know where the grip is what the grip is and he, and you, you can only do what he did in those sort of circumstances, which is usually just go faster than anybody else, if you have the most supreme feel for a car. Yes. Um, and sense of balance, and, and you can drive, you can adapt your style, you can drive so smoothly, you don't upset, you know, the car at all. And I've just always thought that, you know, because he went through, also, you know, he went through all those years, didn't he, of... You know, when he was with Honda of, you know, driving some often pretty terrible cars and he never complained um, mm. and he was always, almost always, he had a smile on his face and he just, and he just got on with it and I've, and I've just always admired that and he beat Lewis in Australia. I can remember when he went to become Lewis's team. I think I probably said, well, he's mad mm. um, because, you know, pff, you're just not going to be able to compete with that bloke and he did, Completely. And he had his days in the McLaren where he was
1: untouchable. Yeah. Um, it's just such a shame that McLaren went off the boil um, towards the end of his career. He he definitely deserved um, a competitive car much more often than he had. Um, you know, there were some BAR days, weren't there, where he won that race at Hungary, his first, and he yeah. was scoring regular podiums. Yeah. Um but for most of his career, he was not in a competitive car, no. um, which is a real shame if he had been. There's no question he would have won more races, maybe another title. But yeah, that's a very good shout, very good shout. Um, okay, I, clearly I had to do a rally driver, um, and I wanted to mention Philippe Bugalski, French driver, tarmac specialist. Never heard of him. In 1999, he won back-to-back rounds of the World Championship uh, at the top level. Catalonia in Spain and the Tour de Corse. He did it in a front-wheel drive car, F2 kit car, so a second-tier car. Wow. So that's wow. like winning. that's like winning the Monaco Grand Prix in a Formula 2 car. Yes. Maybe not quite because, actually, on those rallies in particular, tarmac rallies, warm, and in the case of Corsica especially, very, very twisty rallies, those lighter two-wheel drive F2 kit cars... They actually were at an advantage. They they weren't turbocharged. They had much less power than the WRC cars, but they were smaller, lighter, more nimble. Um, but nevertheless, Bugalski, on two occasions, back-to-back in the middle of the 99 season, took on the world's best drivers in more powerful, more sophisticated cars. Four, with four-wheel, four-wheel drive. Four-wheel drive cars, yeah. And beat them. In a front-drive um, car? In a front-drive car. That's nice. And just imagine how he was wringing the life of, out of that thing
0: so um, so what he, so on i just well, so what, on. okay so why okay i'm i'm not a i mean I'm, yeah, I'm not a huge i'm not very knowledgeable about rallying but i would have thought i'd have heard of him and i haven't so why haven't mm. i heard of him because that's probably all he did really he won those two rounds but he
1: um he didn't have a top flight career really otherwise you know I did, he must have done some stuff in top spec cars um in wrc cars but not a lot and he, he was a tarmac specialist, so he, he was never going to win on gravel. He was never going to win on uh, ice or snow. Yeah. Um, but warm, dry asphalt, he could beat the best in the world in a sl- technically a slower car. Um, on that Corsica uh, event in '99, he took the lead on day one and just held the lead all the way through. Second though was Jesus Purras in his his teammate in a similar car, which demonstrates that those F2 kit cars actually did have some sort of an advantage and they beat Carlos Sainz and Colin McRae. So they those two guys I mean they must have been going absolutely like the clappers. So Blimey. I just think it's I just think it's mega that it's so rare that a second tier car wins against top tier stuff. And normally when it happens it's because the top tier top tier stuff is all retired or had problems or crashed. But on those those two occasions Bugowski was just faster um, and actually the, at the end of that year the kit car regulations the F2 regulations were abandoned perhaps to stop that from happening again because I mean if you're competing in the top level
0: you're yeah you don't want that <coughs> to happen
1: you know you're, you're a Peugeot or a Ford or a Subaru or whoever Toyota you don't want that happening. happen it's not a good look there, there,
0: it? Was, there was one race at, I think it was certainly at the Nürburgring it was in the late 60s I'm guessing I'm going to say about 1968 German Grand Prix at the Nürburgring where they I think they just didn't have enough entries for such a large circuit, so they allowed the F two boys um mm. to join in. And they had sixteen hundred CC engines against three liter V eights. Um yeah. and I can't remember exactly what happened, but basically Jackie X came something like seventh or eighth overall mm. in a Formula Two car. Against mm. yeah. DFV-powered, three-litre, I mean, just nuts. So I guess, you know, when the conditions, and I guess the Nürburgring, although it had that enormous straight on it, when they must have been, you know, he must have been going down there 30 miles an hour slower than the Formula One cars. Mm. So You're Losing seconds, yeah. Goodness knows how much he picked up around the rest of the lap. You know, there mm. would probably have been entire sections of that lap where he would have be been quicker than all the Formula One cars, just because he was in awesome. something which was lighter and more nimble and blur. So yeah, I guess it yeah. can happen. And it made me wonder, you know, what
1: would it take for a Formula Two car to be faster than a formula one car there must be a type of circuit clearly not a grand prix circuit but do you think you know something really
0: tight and fiddly oh, monaco i mean do for do f2 cars race at monaco yeah um, they must do be so, interesting yeah, be to interesting see to how close to the slowest f1 car the fastest f2 car is yeah that, that, look, that surely that's where they get closest i might look that up that'd be good fun yeah i'd like to look that that'd up. Be interesting um right can i do one yep george russell yeah. Wow. I think he's amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: I think he's... Honestly, from... Where was it? Sakir in... 2020? Yeah. When he subbed for Lewis... Yeah. And made... Someone who was on my list of <laughs> overrated drivers... Um, Valtteri <laughs> Bottas. Look. You know, this is a car he didn't even fit. He'd never driven it before. Mm. And he got into this car... And he made Lewis Hamilton's teammate look ordinary. He should have won that race. He absolutely should have won that race.
1: Yeah, the team stuffed
0: him. The team stuffed him. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, he was... I know know that uh, Bottas got pole, but George was like a tenth of him in a car he didn't fit, which he hadn't driven before. And frankly, a completely different proposition to the the Williams he'd been driving up until then. Um, And he does that. And then he goes and becomes... Lewis Hamilton's teammate, you know, in a team that for year after year after year has been built in Lewis's image, completely built around, in the same way that, um, that Ferrari was built around Schumacher in the early part of the season, in the early part of the century, and in the way that Red Bull is built around Max. You know, the the Mercedes team was built around Lewis. And last year, well, you can argue, I know people have argued it either way, Um, but, you know, what can you say? Uh, George ended up with more points. Um, George finished ahead of Lewis in all the sprint races. George won a race. Lewis didn't. I mean, statistically, George did better than Lewis last year. And yeah. George is doing better than Lewis again this year. It's, it's oh, is, Only, only in
1: qualifying, only in qualifying, Lewis is ahead in, in the points, mostly because George had a, an engine blow up in Australia. Didn't well, he? exactly. Okay, so...
0: Okay, let, let us say that he's only as good as the person I think most people listening to this regard as the greatest Formula One driver, certainly of his era, and possibly of all time, if you can have such a thing. That means mm. he is, you know, as good as Lewis Hamilton, a super at star. least. Yeah, it a super is star. extraordinary. And mm. I just don't think that, because he's only won one race so far, um, and because, you know, Max has a machine which, you know, nobody can compete against, I just don't think that he has had... I mean, let's put it this way. Let us say that George and Lewis are exactly the same, um, but they've got the Mercedes that, that Mercedes were producing a couple of years back, and so they're winning everything. But George is winning as much as, if not more, than Lewis. He, we would be lionising that man now. Mm. But because, actually, everything just gets hidden in the shadow of Red Bull, people just don't, I just don't think people appreciate just what an extraordinary job he's doing in that car, given who he's yeah. up against.
1: And also his his both Mercedes he's had this year, last year. <laughs> I know they eventually won a race, but it it was an uncompetitive car, yeah. certainly compared to the fastest cars out there. And this year's is the same. Yeah. Um. So we we need to see George as soon as possible in a genuinely, consistently competitive <laughs> running car, don't we? Yeah, we and do. see what he can do. I, because I I do worry that when the likes of Fernando and Lewis call it a day. I do worry that if the Red Bull is still the best car that Max is just going to have it all his own way and it's not going to be interesting to watch. just if we can put George in a competitive car, if we can get Lando in a competitive car, Charles, you know, if all of those guys have competitive cars,
0: it's going to be epic for the next 10, 15 years, I hope. Uh, And and just briefly go back to George. You remember that race he won? You know, towards the end of it, it was an absolutely straight fight between him and Lewis. Um, in, obviously, identical cars, uh, no particular tyre advantage. There was, you know, there wasn't any reason that you could say, oh, well, yeah, he won it because, I don't know, Lewis's tyres were knackered or he was too far away. You know, it, was ab- it was just a straight fight between them. And he beat Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. How good do you have to be to do that in the same car? Yep. In a team that's been built up around Lewis, who is the greatest driver of the modern era. I just think it's extraordinary. I just think he has Very received good. anything like the credit he deserves. Yeah.
1: Well, let's hope he does. Let's hope he does. There's plenty of time, isn't there? Yeah. Right, um, well, I'll just fly through this, because I just want to give a nod to a bunch of rally drivers who are competing on the British scene in through quite a long era, 70s, 80s, 90s, when the British Rally Championship was really second only to the World Championship. Um, And you had people like Russell Brooks, Jimmy McRae, Mark Lovell, David Llewellyn, Terry Cabey, A bit later on, the Higgins brothers, Mark and David. Um, You know, there was a time where these guys were earning mega salaries as essentially works drivers um, in the British Championship. And it was so competitive. It was massively competitive. Probably almost as competitive as the WRC. And they were flying along in those cars and there's so much fantastic footage of them mostly in rear drive stuff um howling through the forests just driving beautifully um and you know some of them competed on the world stage but never really got um a great opportunity but they, there's no doubt that those guys had the talent had the ability to win at the highest level and I I'm too young to remember it but it must have been fantastic to be watching the British Championship at that time, and these guys, top of their game, um, competing in fantastic cars, uh, and who really knows about them?
0: Yeah, not too well, many people. I, I mean, I, ha- I have actually heard all those guys. Um, yeah. So, But not, but not much well, more I than that. I hope so. No. Not much more
1: than uh, that. Yeah, fantastic. Just a cool, cool era. Really cool to watch them
0: to look back on it now. Can I do the last couple of mine? Yeah. Jody Schechter hmm interesting world champion well yeah world champion um in a car that's you know in the ground effect era in a car which didn't have ground effect is that right yeah absolutely he was in a 312 t4 because well i mean it had some but it was completely it because it had this you know flat formation engine in it so you couldn't get the times where you wanted underneath the car whereas obviously um you know, the Lotus 79 um, had already, you know, figured out how to do that. Um, And, okay, it is true that that Ferrari was unbelievably reliable. And, you know, a lot of what he picked up, he picked up because, you know, he broke and and the rivals didn't. But let us not forget who his teammate was. You know, Gilles Villeneuve, who is lionised and fated as, you know along with Sterling, I guess, you know, one of the greatest drivers never to win a world championship. And I think that people thought that, you know, if he'd lived, then it was absolutely going to be his year in 1982. But, you know, but Jody was, you know, beat him. And, and and, and of course, Villeneuve was the number two. And, you know, there was no question at all that he did, as Moss did with Fangio in 1955, um, you know, sort of follow the leader and that sort of thing. But even so, I think his record... Um, speaks for himself you know he, he was the only person to win a race um, in the six-wheeled Um he won a race for in you know, a wolf on the that car's debut um, you know I just think he was I mean he is remembered I think probably more than anything else for the accident at the start of the 1973 British Grand Prix which took out more than half the field and he was regarded as sort of a bit of a young lunatic and I just don't think that he's ever quite been able to shake that but I think he actually matured into a quite exceptional driver um, and far better than most drivers who only won the championship once. And then, Mm -hmm. you know... And and the other reason is that once he'd done that, he had that terrible season with the 3-on-2 T5 in 1980, which was just, you know, an awful car. And so he just sort of, you know, buggered off and did something else. So, yeah, I'd like to put him on there. Um, Also, Derek Bell. Yeah. People think, well, underrated... Five times Le Mans winner. But he's another one of these really, really good guys. Um, And the reason I think he is underrated, despite his achievements, is that throughout Porsche's time in Group C as a factory team from 1982 to 1988, seven seasons, there was one driver who they retained throughout. One driver who drove for them every Mm. single time the Porsche factory went out. And it was Derek Bell. Um, And if you think about who... Although other drivers who were drafted in from time to time. Okay, Jackie X retired halfway through, so fair enough. Um, you know, he's the person that Jackie Ix, who was, I suppose, until Tom Christensen came along, regarded the greatest sports car driver of all time. He's the person that Jackie Stewart, uh, Jackie Ix wanted to have as his teammate. Mm-hmm. He's a former works Ferrari Formula One driver. Um, and, you know, I think he's... And also, sorry, also, you know, Le Mans 95, which I will never forget, in the McLaren, in the way, yeah. when yeah. his kid was getting monstered by jj leto um, and being closed down by you know some say 17 seconds of lap and so they brought the car in and put dad who was in his 50s at this stage out in the middle of the night in terrible weather um in that car which was such a difficult car to drive because it was so fast and it had no downforce um and the gap just suddenly stopped closing and i just think that is just mm. unbelievable <sighs> So, yeah. you know, he was never as quick as Stefan Beloff, but who was. Um, but for his discipline for doing 24-hour races, if, you know, you just want someone who's going to go in there in any conditions and get the thing round very quickly and bring it home, there's just no one you'd, you, you'd rather have in the car. Mm. Yeah, that's spectacular. And he's also another really, really good guy.
1: Good guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we, <laughs> we can't just do underrated, can we? We have well, to well, sort well, of I put the cat do. amongst the pigeons a little bit. Should we? There are some overrated racing drivers out there. You've yes. given us a hint of one of yours, um, Valtteri. Why? So why do you think Valtteri Bottas is overrated? Do you think that he found himself in yes the gun car for a couple of years, picked up a few wins, but yes. otherwise is a sort of midfield driver?
0: I think he's, you know, uh, I think he's he's one of the always quick and qualify. Hmm. um so you know very quick over a lat okay my biggest problem with him is i've never seen any convincing evidence that he's that he can really race go wheel you lose him that's right and you lose him in races don't you yeah i mean he'd start up the front and he'd just work his way to the back of the field you meant to do Hmm. it the other way around yeah um yeah and actually that's the same comment can be said about somebody else on my list who's from a completely different era um You know, and I just, you know, and and also, again, what George did to him at Sackett. um, I just, Mm. you know, I just suddenly thought, you know, you're Lewis Hamilton's teammate. You're absolutely part of the fabric of that team. You know that car inside out. And basically, a, a near rookie comes into the team for one race. You know, you should be, you shouldn't even be being compared. You should literally just be in a different time zone to him. Mm. And he wasn't. He got duffed up by him. Um, Mm. And I think he is, you know, I think he's a really, really quick driver, but I don't think that across the length of the race, let alone the duration of a championship, um, he's anything like as good as his results. Because he has won a lot of races, but he won a lot of races because, for whatever reason, you know, Lewis, um, you know, DNF'd or, you know, wasn't there on the day or whatever. But, you know, I think he is a great example of a person who won... A lot of races because he was in a great car. Because he was in great. Well, and also, you know, thinking
1: back to Abu Dhabi 2021, forgetting what happened at the end of the race, we know that Max's wingman, Checo Sergio Perez, was right there, was part of that that fight, was making himself a nuisance, was blocking Lewis for a good couple of laps.
0: Oh, weighing in on that. Perez was absolutely integral to that championship. And where was George? Where was uh, Bottas in that race? I can't remember. Why wasn't, it, why wasn't
1: he figuring in that? Why wasn't he there as a wingman, as a rear gunner for Lewis? He, he just was nowhere. Um, so there's no question that he did go missing in in too many races. So yeah, there's an interesting shout. Can that's I a, do a really
0: one. controversial one? Well, yeah, because I'm going to do one as well. well. We might be the same one. Go Don't on, you can go first. James Hunt.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. One at the Nürburgring?
0: Yeah. But, you know, everybody remembers that. Won the that championship. Cha- won the championship, but why did he win the championship? Well, that's right. I mean, he, he should have walked it, really. Okay. After I'm not saying in okay. any way that he was a bit, of a, a bit of a duffer. I think James Hunt was a really good, on his day, unbelievably quick driver. You look what he did in the Hesketh. Um, mm. Won the Race of Champions, It won, won the Dutch Grand Prix. Um, you know, um, did some amazing stuff on his day. Um, but I think he is regarded because he was such a character, because, you know, he won probably the most famous world championship of them all because of everything that went on around it. Uh, and he won it by a point or half a point or whatever it was in those most extraordinary circumstances at Fuji at the end of 1976. Um, you know, fantastic. But the, but the simple truth is, is that if Nicky hadn't crashed at the ring, mm. James wouldn't have seen which way he went in that, t- in, in that title season. No. Wouldn't have no. seen which way he went. And actually you know thereafter he did win a couple of races in 77 i think but he faded really pretty quickly um and you know and 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 then left and, and and that was that and that's you know that to me isn't the mark of a truly great driver but i think he's regarded that i mean you know an amazing a fascinating human being and on his day you know quick as quick can be there's some footage of him coming through the old woodcut overtaking ronnie peterson he's in the hesketh this is when Woodcock was a 160 mile an hour corner. Yeah. Slightly on the grass, quite a lot of opposite lock at 160 miles an hour while overtaking Ronnie oh. Peterson. <laughs> I think it's in the race of champions. Um, it's absolutely awesome. So, yeah. And that gave you an idea of just how quick he could be, just how committed he could be, just what extraordinary car control he possessed. But, I mean, to me, to be regarded as one of the true greats, which I think he is... You need a bit more than that. I think you need to prove yourself over time. Um, And yeah, I I mean, I I feel a bit, I I, I feel sort of a a bit of a bad lad even saying it, but Mm. I just think that his record is probably just a bit flattering to him. Mm. Interesting, very interesting.
1: Okay, now... I'm not necessarily saying that Michael Schumacher is overrated. Oh, Um, my goodness. It it feels distasteful to try and and argue that point. That's not what I'm doing. But actually, I just want to discuss a parallel point to um, overrated, right? I'm not saying he is overrated. I I want to just ponder this. Does it damage reputation to continue longer than was perhaps ideal and Ooh. to be beaten by a younger, far less experienced, far less successful teammate. So I'm talking Nico. about, yeah, I'm talking about those three seasons where Michael Schumacher came back with Mercedes in a largely un- uncompetitive car, and yeah. he was beaten three years on the bounce by Nico Rosberg. Yeah. Um, so. No, I'm not saying Michael Schumacher is overrated. But ha- what does that do to his legacy? Does, that, does that tarnish do the his... reputation? Yes. Yeah,
0: does it? I don't think it tarnishes as much as, you know, some of his high jinks, Some mm. of the things that he got up to. Some of the things he did to try and win titles. I think they tarnish reputations much more. Um, to me, I mean, is, is Muhammad Ali regarded as mm. any less of a you know, he's regarded as the world's greatest person ever to get into a ring, isn't he? Um, And he stayed on far past his prime, and frankly, with and and, and tragically, with terrible, terrible consequences for his health. Um, And we don't look back at him and think, oh, well, you know, his his legacy is tarnished. I think it would be better if he hadn't, but we're all brilliant Mm. with the benefit of hindsight. Um, And... I thought you were going to say, oh, well, yeah, because the, those Ferraris were just better than anything else. No. And, yeah, no. um, and, and I was about to come back and say, yeah, but why? He was part of the team that made them that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah And, yeah. you know, he invested three seasons of his life coming nowhere near where he's town to, to, to get the team that way. You didn't say that. Um, no. uh, it's, it's an interesting point. For me, no, it doesn't. Um, I think that he is an absolute great... I don't think he is overrated. I think that he was, you know, the centre of the Lewis of his era. So I I agree with you, and I've been thinking
1: about this a lot. And my issue with saying that being beaten by Rosberg those three seasons does tarnish his legacy, my issue with that point is that it therefore, would if we take that view, it would therefore encourage these sports people to retire perhaps before they're ready or to call it a day when they're at the top of their game. Um, And actually it takes courage to continue going to remain determined, to want to carry on, um, and so i, I don 't think we can say that Michael Schumacher or a Lewis Hamilton should quit after winning, say seven world championships, um, because it doesn 't seem fair, and you know I understand that longevity is important in sports that that says something about the quality of that sports person but in, in Schumacher's case he had it you know when did he win his first title 94
0: yeah absolutely 94 95 and then 2001 two, yeah
1: so you know that's a that's a long spread different eras yeah. um, different car technologies I mean, he was it- able to win across them um, but the other thing about this discussion is that longevity has its place but i also i prefer to look at the heights that a sports person reached even yeah. if only for a year or two how high did they reach and there's no question that schumacher reached as high as anybody
0: and, and also the lows can be pretty unedified I mean, i'm not old enough to remember it but you know just talking about you know graham hill stayed on so much longer than he should have yeah. done and yeah. this bloke mr monaco who won monaco, the monaco grand prix five times you know by the early mid 1970s you know, failing to qualify for that race it's just undignified, um, mm. and I hope that you know. Let's take the example of Lewis. I hope he doesn't go on for too long. Um, I think they think I, you know, I suppose you know you get guys like Kimi, don't you, who are prepared to accept uncompetitive drives because they still just want to be part of the scene and and, mm. and, and they probably just love being out there and, and and that's fine. But you know, you don't want to see truly great drivers being humiliated and Michael was never humiliated in the Mercedes it was a difficult car you know and, and okay he, he never did particularly well in it he did get a podium didn't he I think so and he did get a pole yeah I mean I can remember there was a I can remember seeing him in a press conference saying glad to be back um so mm. he definitely wasn't humiliated it wasn't you know in no way is that in any way you know comparable to to Graham Hill and if you know and if Lewis let's say Lewis does carry on until he's 45 and ends up in completely uncompetitive cars you know, people may go, "Well, that's a shame." You know, he should have gone out with a roar rather than a whimper. But I don't think it's going to touch his legacy. I think he'll still be regarded as the bloke who, on his in his era when he was at the top, was better than anybody else. Yeah, I, I agree with that view. I absolutely agree with that view. And um,
1: actually, on Lewis, you know, if if he if they give him a competitive car and he's able to win another title with George in the other car, that will be as big an achievement as anything else that he's done in his career. That will be because cr- something. Something is lost a bit later on. It happens to all of us. You know, late 30s, into your Speak 40s. yourself. <laughs> something in sport, something is lost. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah. And so if he, at 39, 40 maybe, is able to beat this fantastically talented, fast, young generation, that will be his greatest achievement in racing, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Can I just Can I ask you whether you think this person is overrated or not? Because I'm, re- I'm completely. I mean, he's on my list, but I. Hmm. Okay. Vettel. Yeah. Ah, it's so tough.
1: It's so. Well, okay. Going back to what I've just said, how high a driver reaches is important. And for a, for a time, Vettel in that V8 uh, blown diffuser Red Bull was as dominant and as fast and as competitive as anyone has ever been, I would say. Okay,
0: let um, me let me put the case for the prosecution. He yeah. had the best car and he had in Mark Webber a good but not great teammate and the moment yeah. he got a really good teammate in the form of Danny Rick, Danny, he got yeah. absolutely shown up. Yeah. To the extent that he had yeah, to leave he, the team.
1: He did. He did. And then Charles
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Charles beat him a bit later on at Ferrari, didn't he? I, I agree. I agree. And that's another example. Now, if he had quit at the end of 2013, it would have been far too early. But four-time world championship, won a load of races, had a load of records. If he'd quit then and just said, I've had enough, yeah. we'd all think he that's was why one I of the best admire,
0: ever. I mean, I've never put him up there among the great, but I always admire, I've got a sneaking admiration for Nico Rosberg. <laughs> just just thought, there, yeah, just call it Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I just did it. Done. I beat Lewis- that's right. um, yeah, he, he clearly recognised he was never, ever going to do that again or anything yeah. like it. And he just thought, I'm off.
1: Yeah, fair play. Yeah. Fair play. But I think um, there were too many occasions where Vettel, particularly in the turbo hybrid era, would make mistakes, would come undone, would be beaten by younger teammates. Um, and I think that does tarnish his legacy to some degree.
0: Okay, I I've, got, I've got one. I know we're, we're, we're timing out here, but I, I'm just going to go back in time a bit. Um, Alberto Ascari. Okay, so his record, which is pretty yeah. extraordinary, is that for an entire year, from the middle of 1952 to the middle of 1953, nobody else won a World Championship Formula One race. Yeah, yeah. He that won every amazing. single one. It's yeah. never been done before or since. Mm. Okay? Literally, if you turned up, the best you were going to do was come second Mm. and he won back-to-back world championships as a result and um you know he is you know regarded as you know probably second only to Fangio as the greatest driver of the 1950s however he's a bit of a botass he was never Mm. a race I say never a racing driver he was never a bloke who liked to race what he liked to do was have the best possible machine um and then just disappear and he was, so he was a guy who was unbelievably fast. He was also helped by the fact that fit, the Fangio was injured for most of um, the 1953 season. In fact, I'm not even sure he did a race that season. Um, but he was just a guy. Give him the fastest car, he'd just bugger off in it and win the race. Terrific. But to me, to be considered a true great, you need to race. And that's why I love you know, guys like Lewis, um, mm. whose racecraft, when you're wheel to wheel at ridiculous speeds on difficult circuits where the margins are measurable sometimes in you know millimeters that is where i you know when i think of lewis as one of the greatest racing drivers that there has ever been that's what i think of. i don't think of you know 100 and something victories i just think of that mm. race craft just his ability to race um it's the reason that i you know i, I think that sterling was such an extraordinary driver as well um and ascari great at winning races if you gave him the best car but on those occasions when he wasn't in the best car he usually came nowhere there you go mm-hmm. interesting
1: interesting um there's some good good names in there overrated yeah. underrated interesting stuff if we've missed any get in touch and, and let us know i'm sure um, we have yeah oh, no question so we've got a good listener question coming up on the topic well on the motorsport theme um we'll come to that in a moment i would first have to remind you all to rate and review the podcast please do that and we want a five-star rating come on be generous um and just quickly hit the follow or subscribe button on whichever app, whichever app you use that really helps us um, but the question comes from asad Usman. now we have to be a bit careful here we have to be we have to think about this one quite deeply andrew because this mm, is for golly. an a-level project oh my goodness <laughs>
0: Right. No, I don't think I want to be responsible for you failing your
1: A-level I know, I know so we have to come up with a proper response to this um, and he says what has been the most significant safety development in Formula 1 in the last 30 years and how do you think it has prevented fatal or career ending injuries from a crash now we have, we have. I think last week or the week before we spoke about the halo didn't we and that's clearly made a huge difference but let's look at, look back a little bit further so we're talking from the sort of early 1990s um, so what has really changed in that time? In the last 30 hands years. So,
0: so, so we can't quite have carbon chassis, can we? No, not quite. Um, because I think they were the greatest safety advance. Um, blimey. Um, I'll, I'll offer the hands device. Um, yeah. that That
1: very simple, often bit of carbon fibre that goes underneath your harness and attaches to your helmet to stop your head being wrenched forward in in the case of uh, of an accident when you hit a tire wall or something I that's th- made a huge difference okay
0: i mean not a well publicized one but raised cockpit sides um, Absolutely. you know you go and look at well you go and look at in 1994 um and see just how far out of the car and how much of senna was you know frankly outside yeah um yeah, you'll understand um, why you know his head was terribly vulnerable uh, in that kind of accident. I also think you know wheel tethers, um, yeah, specifically to stop that sort of thing ever happening again. It's a really, really interesting question. Um, hands device in all forms of sport. Is this, is, sorry, this a, is this a specifically Formula One question, or is it all sport? Form, it's it's Formula sport? One. It's okay. Formula if One. it were all sport, hands device absolutely. Hand, forgive the pun hands yeah. down um yeah. would be the single most i mean there are racing drivers um and i'd probably count myself among them who said if you gave me a choice of a fireproof suit or a hands device i'll take the hands device every day of the week i drive me undies mm. if i could have a hand, if i could have a hands device because mm. cars these days i mean i know it has happened and it does happen but it's really really very rare that they catch fire which is what they always yeah. used to dread um, yes yeah. Whereas basal skull fractures, which is what happens if you have a big stop in a car without a hands device mm. are you know are far more common. So, what a great question.
1: Mm. Okay, great question. I'm, going,
0: I'm going hands device, even if it is just Formula One. But if it wasn't that, I would say, well, no, actually, because this it is relevant. I know we've talked about it, but actually, I think that, you know I have seen more lives saved, clearly, obviously saved by the Halo than anything else.
1: Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe um, it is the Halo. Maybe yeah, it is the Halo. I think it is the Halo. Um, hands is head and neck safety h-a-n-s device um but yeah you've, you've mentioned raised cockpit sides and it's a, it, a sometimes it's a criticism you can't actually see what the drivers are doing in the cockpit yeah you just see the the
0: helmets the halo for exactly that and then yeah blimey, you only have to think of well i mean so many cases um obviously grosjean was saved by his hans device i think lewis's life had been saved by a hands device yeah. um, wasn't alonso's life saved? So didn't shall go yeah. over the top of alonso um yeah. yeah so you know it's almost one of you know. Well, in recent so by the side, I talk about the Halo, aren't I? Um, it's almost one a season at the moment, isn't it? Mm. People mm. who would have been in a very, very sticky situation indeed, were it not for the Halo. It is extraordinary, yeah. yeah. And a
1: final mention then to they must have some kind of bag tank Formula One cars now. Um, yeah, because they've,
0: they've had those for a while.
1: Yeah. So the it, it used to that was the extraordinary thing about Grosjean's crash wasn't it that it went up in a fireball and it's the first fireball I've ever seen
0: in Formula 1 in my time watching it I can remember Um, Berger Gerhard going up at Imola when he had that horrible accident and he was just sitting there in a burning car for I think it was 11 seconds I mean I was watching it live on telly at the time and I just sat there um, you know appalled but somehow awfully unable to take my my, my eyes off the screen thinking I'm just Mm. watching a man burn to death
1: oh that's Um, horrendous
0: it was it was absolutely horrendous. Um, but then I can't remember... There were, well, there are things like... Do you remember um, Jos Verstappen? I think it was Jos Verstappen. Um, Max's dad had a big fuel fire during some refueling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were Pedro dinners. Do you remember that wonderful headline, Dinners in the Oven? <laughs> oh, God. Well, it's fine because nobody got hurt. Um, otherwise, yeah. it would have been appalling. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but, but that was that, that, they were all sort of refuelling related. They weren't big accident, no, tank splitting no. related. So, but I think the bag tank's been around for a bit. Yeah,
1: OK, but the, the point is, you, apart from Grosjean's accident, you just don't see fireballs in F1 anymore. No. Thank God. Um, yeah. So that, that must be a contributor as well to the improved safety. So, well, there you go, Asad. Interesting question. Hopefully, I mean, it's, it's an important um, project of yours. So the, Asad, the answer to your question is the halo Yeah, it probably is, isn't it? It probably is. Uh, All right, good. Thank you, Asad, for your question. Keep them coming, and we'll do another one next week.
0: See ya.